0: hello again dear listener and yeah you're right this is the start of the show welcome to fine a previously recorded evening with storytelling and otherwise this episode took place on March 26, 2018, at the Lido, which is on the traditional, ancestral, unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations, or Vancouver, BC. You'll be hearing from some of the excellent lineup of writers and comedians we had that night, including Marlene Swaczynski, J.C. Gibb, Jessica Johns, and Abdul Aziz. And throughout this episode, you'll hear music from Necking, who you can find on Bandcamp. The track we started the show with today is called Detective Olivia Benson. And if you're listening to this show today, April 22nd, 2018, on No Fun Radio, we have a live show at the Lido tomorrow that you should come and check out if you like. It's going to be a nice one. We've got music from Nicholas Kurgovich, readings from Maureen Maved, comedy from Katie Norgren, and a whole lot more. Come check it out. If you want. No pressure. For more info, go to www.afineshow.com or follow us on the social medias at Affine Show. And let's, let's get on with it. Enjoy the show. And I am your host, Kulniewicki. I said my last name very strangely. <laughs> I just mispronounced my surname. Nevitsky. Um <laughs> And I recently went to Staples, the office supply store. Yeah, everyone loves it. Um, and while I was in Staples office supply, I uh I fell in love. Yeah. Um because as, almost immediately, as soon as I entered the Staples, I, I saw this nearly life-size promotional cardboard cutout uh, of a Staples employee whose cardboard hand was pointing to another sign that was pointing to their daily deals. And I, I was just smitten. <laughs> and I, I was smitten because I do not believe the image they used for this cardboard cutout uh, was a stock photo. I Google imaged the shit out of things. I know what stock photos look like. And I don't believe that this was a professional model they used. I'm pretty sure this was someone who works at that Staples. <laughs> yeah. And just why I was so taken with it is like the implication of having a nearly life-sized cardboard cutout of yourself at your place of employment. I think that's interesting. Um... <laughs> And so I went home and I started writing a story about it that I'm going to share with you tonight. And when I finished it, I, I knew I was going to share it here, but I didn't. Uh, I knew it needed something more. I knew it needed a visual component um, to really make it pop. Because I want you to be inspired the way that I was inspired when I first walked into that Staples. And so this is a true story. I went back to that Staples and I tried to, uh, to purchase <laughs> that nearly life-size cardboard cutout of a Staples employee, uh, to which I was immediately rebuffed. But I I still, for this piece to sing, I think there needs to be a a visual aid, so I, I made my own. This is Mark. And... Mark needs some light. And my favorite thing about Mark is that I Google imaged the shit out of Staples employees and I found this photo. This is, I don't know his actual name, but if you look, that's Mark. You know that's a Mark. yeah, so I Google imaged this photo, and this, this isn't a stock photo, this isn't from Staples' website, this is just a photo of someone who happened to be working at a Staples and had their photo taken, it was put on the internet, and now there's a nearly life-sized foam core cutout of them on a stage at a storytelling show in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. <laughs> the world is a weird place. <laughs> and it kind of ties into my story. Um, I'm going to start talking to you with the story now, that didn't make sense. Um, <laughs> Just a bit of a heads up on the format of the story, uh, it's essentially broken into two pieces. There is an email that Mark is sending to his supervisor, and then there's a story itself. I'll let you know when we're in both sections. Everyone ready? Ready, Mark? And this piece is called Regarding Recent Events. To Tracy Buford, from Mark St. Denis. Subject, Regarding Recent Events. Now we're in the story. <laughs> Mark thought it was only going to be used here, in their Burrard Street location. It was Doug, their technology consultant's idea. They did stuff like this all the time. They were kind of mom and poppy for a staples in that way. The staff would decorate the store for the holidays together each year, singing carols as they'd string Christmas lights across the ink cartridge display. Personalized staple brand printer paper snowflakes hanging from the drop ceiling. Mark and the others even had staff picks where everyone would stick a little note onto the labels of whatever product they were really into that month. For Mark, it was usually the pens that did it for him. That month, it was a set of dry erase markers. Need to get detailed with the details on your whiteboard? These Expo brand ultra-fine tips are the perfect marker for leaving your mark. Mark. (laughs) Susan, their copy and print center lead, always loved Mark's mark-slash-marker wordplay. They were good pals, as was most everyone in the store. They all went for lunch together, drinks after work. Susan would even get Mark to look after her strangely docile Scottish terrier, Spud, when she went out of town. This is why Mark agreed to Doug's idea. They are all just friends working together to make their staples, the best staples. Back to the email. Hello, Tracy. As you may be aware, due to the company-wide email that corporate sent out yesterday, I've recently been caught up in a rather unfortunate situation. Back to the story. Doug dragged the the table across the break room, screeching it over the linoleum floor, leaving a mostly clean wall for them to work, their backdrop. Doug's Nikon, which he'd purchased at the store on a generous staff discount, was slung around his neck and slid gently from one side of his increasingly convex chest to the other as he moved. Yeah, just like that. Pretend you have your arm around something. No, someone. Pretend you got Stevie there and you're about to give him a noogie, Doug directed. Mark pretended he had Stevie, the new cashier who was constantly late and probably deserved that noogie under his arm, and used the other to point at the space where Stevie's imaginary body suffering the noogie would be. Okay, now, now smile, but not too much. Keep it pretty casual. We want people to get excited about the specials, but not too excited, you know? Doug winked. Mark didn't know what he meant, but reigned in a smile anyways as the camera flashed. Everybody loved Doug. Mark loved Doug. Doug was good at his job, great even, better at it than Brian, the senior technology consultant at their location was at his. Doug was always coming up with cool new ideas like this that not only helped his department, but the store as a whole. Then Brian would take credit for them whenever corporate came through on their quarterly visits. Like when Doug created the new filing system for the office chairs that organized them from least cushiony to most cushiony. He called it the Goldilocks system, which Mark was pretty sure was already a thing at the brick, but customers loved it. Corporate loved it. Brian thanked them for their appreciation of his genius. What they were doing was similar to what Doug had done to promote his Goldilocks system. He would pulled the table away from the wall in the break room and got Susan to stand in front of it and took her photo while she wore a red staples polo. He also had her bring in Spud, who sat so still on the stool that Doug plopped him on that Mark thought the poor creature might be, com- might be comatose. Doug called him a good boy and took his photo. Spud blinked at the flash. Am I speaking too quickly? Okay, cool. A few days later, Doug came into work with a full-size cardboard cutout of Susan as a Staples brand Goldilocks next to three cardboard cutouts of different models of office chair. Each one had duplicates of Spud photoshopped into it, and every chair, all of Spud's eyes were closed. A speech bubble hung from Susan's cardboard mouth. Choose which chair is just right for you. Uh, And in case you're wondering how the Goldilocks system works, uh, the Goldilocks system was determined by the amount of little spud stickers stuck onto the label of its corresponding office chair. One spud with least cushiony, two spuds medium cushiony, three spuds most cushiony. I held up five fingers. (laughs) Mark was a two-spudder. When Doug eventually came into work with the cardboard cutout of Mark, the staff cheered. He set it up in the high-traffic area at the front of the store where the aisles forked into technology and general office supplies. In the space where cardboard Mark had been holding the imaginary body of Stevie the cashier, Doug had installed a whiteboard. This is where their daily deals would be written. (laughs) Doug gave Mark the honor of writing the inaugural deal, a 100-pack of Staples brand thermal laminating pouches, letter size $39.99. That's a good deal. Back to the email. What was meant strictly as a promotional tool for a Burrard Street store, which features an image of myself in a Staples uniform, went international. Back to the story. Just like with Doug's Goldilocks system, corporate loved it. And just like with Doug's Goldilocks system, Brian took credit for it once a quarterly visit came around. Two stout men and business casual clapped Brian on the back. They asked if they could have the cardboard mark file. They wanted to print it out and ship it for use in staples throughout North America. Brian told them, yeah, of course, no problem. I'll send you my file ASAP and nodded at Doug from across the room. Back to the email. Then it somehow became viral. We believe the internet the, the initial photograph was taken in our Albuquerque, New Mexico storefront. Someone then digitally edited it and shared it on social media. Soon after, others began to share their own digitally edited versions of the photo. It spread quickly. Mark and Doug, back back to the story. Mark and Doug found out about cardboard marks online celebrity via Twitter. User at Chores had tagged Staples in a tweet with a photo of Cardboard Mark. In the space where the whiteboard used to be, at Chores, had photoshopped a smaller version of Cardboard Mark, who had his arm around another smaller version of Cardboard <laughs> Mark and another into infinitum. The photo had 5,000 retweets. Back to the email. I started to get noticed at work. People learned my name. Customers asked to take photographs with me. It became a distraction for all of us. Back to the story. A few weeks later, an investigative journalist from BuzzFeed (laughs) reached out to Mark about Cardboard Mark. So, what are some positives and negatives about becoming a a meme celebrity? Mark thought hard. The internet was now full of photos of him with his arm around giant swing-lying staplers, the crying Michael Jordan meme in an apparent effort to comfort MJ. Piles of fluffy cats, piles of shit, bundles of turgid, veiny penises, rotting corpses, Stalin... Well, there haven't been any positives yet. Back to the email. And as the email from corporate details, the photos started to be edited and shared in a way that was highly inappropriate. Back to the story. The subreddit Mark: Colon confirmed quickly became one of the most popular haunts for online conspiracy theorists. Thousands of cardboard mark conspiracy memes found their origins there before being proliferated throughout Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Cardboard mark with a slight yet confident smile, an arm around a pancaked rendering of Earth, large bold letters above them reading, flat mark on flat Earth, confirmed. (laughs) Cardboard mark shrouded by crappy pixelated clouds, mark on chemtrails, confirmed. (laughs) Cardboard mark holding a can of new Coke, mark on rampant capitalist greed, confirmed. (laughs) That's my favorite one. course. Then the alt-right latched on to cardboard mark and made him into a mascot. They flooded the internet with images of cardboard mark with his arm around far-right figureheads and hateful headlines from Breitbart and Fox News that filled his whiteboard and redeemed mark confirmed. The FBI later confirmed that Kremlin-backed Russian trolls were behind the Atmark-approved Twitter account that organized a rally outside of his staples in Lexington, Kentucky. Neo-Nazis clad in red staples brand polo shirts responded to each terrible sentiment coming from the guy with the megaphone with a chilling chant of... Mark confirmed. Mark confirmed. It's terrible. Back to the email. And while you did inform me that my job is secure, despite the negative press that has come about regarding this, I do not see a way in which I continue working for Staples, a company that I love, without bringing more undue attention. I'm formally giving my two weeks' notice. I appreciate everything you have done for me, Tracy. I will miss my Staples family dearly. He he appreciates that. Back to the story. Doug tossed Mark a lukewarm, cam, lukewarm can of Pilsner from the trunk of his Toyota. <sighs> yeah, we're all going to miss you. That's a cold hard fact, my man. Mark nodded, sitting on the hood of his car. <laughs> all of this is it's so goddamn unfair, you know? Mark continued nodding. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> We just wanted to give our customers a better overall shopping experience, which I think we did up until all of this, obviously. Doug made a large, sweeping gesture with his arms that encompassed the entirety of the Staples parking lot. The Toyota sunk further as he sat down beside Mark. But it ain't all that bad, because guess what? Mark didn't get a chance to guess. Tracy can, Brian's stupid ass. Corporate blamed him for all the bad press because he claimed that cardboard you was all his idea. Isn't that great? Now it's pretty much a done deal that I'll be moving up to senior technology consultant. Awesome, right? Mark sipped his tepid beer. Yeah, that's uh, that's great, Doug. That's real great. Yeah, thanks for listening to whatever that was. Up first, we have the very funny Vancouver-based writer, comedian, and editor, Marlene Swidzinski.
1: Good evening. Whoa, that was loud. (laughs) Yeah, before before I got into um, stand-up comedy, I was a poet around town. Started writing poetry when I was a kid. And um, yeah, so in my 20s, I was uh, performing poetry at at readings. That's sort of how I got into comedy because... um, um, after one of my shows, someone said, have you ever thought of um, doing stand-up? And I hadn't at that point, but a year later, I started hitting the comedy clubs. But for fun, I'm going to uh, recite uh, one of the poems I used to read back in the day. I think it was called, Who Knows? <laughs> someone likes it already. <laughs> A cat I know has a puffed out belly, maybe she is pregnant, or maybe she has worms. My people f- her people family dances around her in excitement, wondering what is going to pop out. Someone told me I have a Mona Lisa smile. Someone told me Mona Lisa smiled because she was pregnant. Maybe I am pregnant. (laughs) Or maybe I have worms. (laughs) No doubt my friends will dance around me. Well, I'm happy to report that it's a baby that popped out. I actually, well, not at that exact point, but um, <laughs> I, I was pregnant. And um, uh, my daughter is uh, grown up now, and she's uh, married. She's had um, two babies in the last five years. Thank you. <laughs> We uh, still don't know who the grandfather is. (laughs) Yeah, I'm uh, my background is uh, Polish and Ukrainian. Thank you. In other words, I've uh, fucked a lot of accordion players. (laughs) They have amazing fingers. (laughs) I have an accordion. (laughs) Just putting it out there. (laughs) Yeah, I I grew up in uh, the Prairie Polka Belt on a farm in Saskatchewan near the Manitoba border. Yeah, I lived lived on the farm till I was 17. Then I decided to, you know, pursue knowledge, see the world. So I moved to Regina. I'm kidding. I moved to Saskatoon. <laughs> yeah, I got, a, um, I got a degree in philosophy with a minor in poultry science. <laughs> the, uh, the topic of my honors thesis was chicken or egg. an inquiry into the order of things. (laughs) Yeah, and I I became a vegetarian. Yeah, I told a neighbor that I didn't eat meat. He said, oh, so you only eat potatoes? So I uh, moved to Vancouver in search of more vegetarians. <laughs> you know, and I experienced some culture shock. I um, I couldn't find anyone to polka with. I put an ad in the paper: uh, Polka Princess <laughs> seeks polka prince <laughs> for discreet polka outings. <laughs> no later hosen. Any, um, any physicists in the house? <laughs> one over there. Yeah, good. I, uh, I used to date a physicist. Um, yeah, he was kind of uh, kinky. He um, tied me up one night with quantum strings. <laughs> yeah, it, um, it turned my body into a portal. We uh, started having sex and whoosh. He was gone. <laughs> yeah, I think he's uh, banging me from some alternate dimension. <laughs> Get these incredible orgasms out of nowhere. <laughs> or somewhere. Schrodinger's pussy. Yeah, I wrote that joke in the Edmonton airport. <laughs> Had a lot of um, time and space <laughs> on my hands. Yeah, yeah I went on, uh, on a date last week, and my um, date asked me how many guys I've slept with. I said I wasn't aware. I was supposed to be counting, (laughs) would've kept a fuck diary. (laughs) Dear diary, (laughs) guess who scored again? (laughs) (laughs) Moi. And I seem to be running out of pages here. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I don't do online dating. I um, prefer old-fashioned methods like going to a bar and hanging out by the men's washroom. Yeah, I sometimes date uh, younger guys, and they're all right, except that they're um, into sexting. And that's not my strongest writing genre. (laughs) Yeah, I got a sext a couple of weeks back. It said, oh, uh, do you like when guys go down on you? (laughs) So I type back. Is that a rhetorical question? (laughs) No answer. So I type, do you like Aristotle? (laughs) No answer. (laughs) He's the ancient Greek godfather of rhetoric. (laughs) No answer. (laughs) Okay, what are you wearing? Please say toga. <laughs> so you see, not good at sexting. You <laughs> know, but it occurs to me that I don't really need to be dating anymore because I filled my quota <laughs> last century. You know, so the the next time a guy I'm not into invites me up to his place. Instead of saying something like, sorry, I can't climb trees in these shoes. (laughs) I'm just going to say, sorry, filled my quota. (laughs) Fuck diaries full. (laughs) Fucking done. Yeah, but I, um, I went to, uh, to uh, a nightclub last night called The Legion. <laughs> I think it's a chain. <laughs> Anyways, I'm sitting there and this predatory sex weasel comes over. <laughs> He asked me what my sign was. I said, restricted area. (laughs) No unauthorized entry. Okay, thank you, that's my time. You've been a lovely audience, thank you.
0: Up next is JC Gibb. His accolades include, and are mostly limited to, winning a watermelon-eating contest in the ninth grade, making it to the semifinals of a spelling bee by spelling the word Brontosaurus, and being featured as Reader of the Month in the December 2015 issue of Coffee News, which is pretty big. Here's JC.
2: I've never been on stage with a cardboard cutout celebrity before. (laughs) Hopefully I can... uh... Concentrate. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a story I wrote called Animals. Surrounded. Trapped. No way of escaping. 22 of them and only one of me. I can make a break for it. Slowly make my way to the door, out into the hallway. There's an emergency exit within sprinting distance. 15 feet? You would have make it 15 inches before they notice They can smell fear, almost as well as they can see it on your face. Suddenly, one of them notices my gaze and starts stomping towards me. She bares her teeth and opens her mouth. I brace for whatever happens next. Mr. Gibb, can I go to the bathroom? (laughs) Yes, Makila, but, but go quickly because we're starting soon. My neck hairs relax slightly, but it won't be long until another one approaches me. Escaping's not an option, neither is hiding. There's only one thing I can do, one thing I know how to do in this kind of situation. I'm going to have to teach my way out of this. <laughs> my year spent in SFU's teaching program prepared me for a lot of things. I know how to conduct assessment, both formative and summative. <laughs> how to foster a healthy classroom community. What forms I need to fill out if a student stabs me in the back of the hand with a pair of safety scissors. But one area of the teaching program sorely left out, how profoundly stupid the spelling of names has gotten. <laughs> you see, it's the year 2018, and there are already, oh, about a million of people with each name already in existence. So parents are opting to go hog wild when it comes to spelling their kids' names. I've had Liam's spelled with a Y in the middle, Noah's spelled with an E-I in the middle, and the Caitlin's. <sighs> I used to think there were two ways to spell Caitlin, with a K or with a C. <laughs> you know where this is going. <laughs> now you have K Caitlin with a Y, K Caitlin with an I, K Caitlin with a K Y and then an I, Caitlin with a K I and a Y and a double N. Caitlin spelled Kate with a K and then a Y and a single N. <laughs> so many Caitlins. <laughs> I even have a Kale in my class, which is very hippy dippy Vancouver. But then I remember that Kale's eight now, so that means his parents were way ahead of the curb. <laughs> OG Kale types, for sure. <laughs> I asked students to put their lunches away, and during the flurry of activity, I saunter to the whiteboard and scrawl Habitat loss" in capital letters with a big oval around it. When I tell friends about what I'm teaching, they're surprisingly critical. They think I'm being too real for a bunch of eight-year-olds, but hey... If students are old enough to learn multiplication, I figure they're old enough to learn about how humans are fucking up the planet. (laughs) My goal is to get students so upset about habitat loss and pollution that they'll plead to me, but Mr. Gibb, isn't there something, anything we can do about it? And then I'll swoop in with the idea of conservation and reducing human impact on the planet. It's like the education equivalent of negging. So we started talking about habitat loss yesterday, and I gave you some... A hand shoots up in the front row. A student named Blossom, because of course people are naming their kid Blossom. (laughs) I also ran out of Staples, so I'm dealing with the (laughs) paperclip. Back to the story. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I know it's your bed. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Gibb, Blossom calls out. I was away yesterday, so I'm not really sure what a habitat loss is. They are going to help explain habitat loss to Blossom. A few hands shoot up in the air as I click on the Apple TV and head over to my computer. Axel? It's like when there are animals living in a place and then they can't live in a place anymore because of, like, forest fires and stuff? Right, so habitat loss is when they lose that habitat, either disappears or animals can no longer live there. What are forest fires an example of, Axel? Can you remember the word for that? Uh, Deforestation? I Google image search deforestation and sync my computer with the television, so students are greeted with rows and rows of tree stump filled pictures. Caitlin, with a KY double N, lets out a, whoa, <laughs> while Devlin and Faith collectively go, I click on a particularly destitute image of a koala sitting on the ground, surrounded by wood chips. What's another cause of habitat loss, Burke? Mmm, climate change. And can you tell me what climate change is? Mm, I mostly just remember the word from yesterday. I type climate change habitat loss and pull up an image of a polar bear and her two cubs on a small piece of ice surrounded by water. <laughs> <laughs> climate change means a bunch of different things. It can refer to the Earth's temperature getting hotter, which means our oceans are getting warmer. Sometimes they get too warm, and then fish populations start dying out. It also means the Arctic is melting. So, climate change is hurting animals? Blossom calls out, again, clearly worried. It's causing some of their habitats to disappear? Yeah. But how do we stop it? Blossom's normally high pitched voice shoots up a volume as she looks from the television to me. Mission accomplished. Well, grade threes, yesterday I asked you to come up with things you could do to prevent habitat loss. What did everyone come up with? The solutions are wildly unhelpful, even for a group of (laughs) eight-year-olds. Kale says that picking up cigarette butts can stop forest fires. Latham, yes, not Nathan, Latham, suggests coloring on both sides of a piece of paper. Severin goes super basic and simply shouts out, Recycle! (laughs) But nothing prepares me for Devlin's answer. (laughs) I'm getting to it. My mom told me that eating less meat stops habitat loss. I don't know exactly how, but she said it does, so I wrote it down. Oh, shit. That's actually a really good way to stop habitat loss. Should I roll with it? I'm going to roll with it. While wearing bloodstones and with the taste of spaghetti and meatballs still on my breath from lunch, I take Devlin's suggestion and start building on it. I didn't wake up expecting to explain what vegetarianism and veganism is to a room of kids, but teaching is just a weird gig sometimes. Devlin's sister is a vegan. Shanila says her family only eats fish. Damien R. claims his family is vegetarian, but describes it as, we eat meat sometimes, except we don't, but sometimes we do. Resources like food and water and land go into raising animals for us to eat, I explain, drawing a stick man on the whiteboard along with a stick cow and a circular ball meant to represent lettuce. <laughs> What's that supposed to be? Damien G calls out. The circle is ahead of lettuce. It doesn't look like lettuce. I draw a few lines to make it more lettuce-y. the comments, Now it looks like a basketball! <laughs> Six years of post-secondary. Six years of fucking post-secondary <laughs> to have a job where children comment on my drawings like it's an episode of goddamn Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> Never mind about the basketball lettuce. Think about it this way. Does it, make, or does it make more sense for me to take lettuce and just eat that? Or for me to feed a cow for a long time, give it lots of water, and eventually eat the cow? Devlin raises his hand. So you're saying humans shouldn't eat animals? Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Well, not exactly, Devlin. I mean, raising animals for us to eat can be pretty bad for the environment. So why do people eat meat? Mr. Gibb? why do you put pepperoni sticks on the morning snack tray? Pepperoni has meat in it! <laughs> so you're saying that if we stop eating pepperoni sticks, that will help save the polar bears? <laughs> Suddenly it dawns on me that I've accidentally cracked open Pandora's shitbox. All right, Chasey, take them back a step before they all start handing out pamphlets beside the SkyTrain station. (laughs) Grade threes, I didn't say that everyone should be vegetarian. I also want you all to know that I, in fact, eat meat, though not as much as I used to. Is that because you know it's bad for habitats? Is eating all kinds of meat bad for the animals? Then the shitbox's lid goes flying off. And Blossom bursts out, I need to tell my mom about me being vegan now. <laughs> Way to go. You just turned your whole class into a bunch of fucking vegans. I mean, even though it technically does make sense for preventing habitat loss. Imagine having your kid come home and tell you they're vegan because of something their teacher told them. <sighs> class, I need to say something clearly, and I want everyone listening to me, including you, Atticus. Eyes up here, please. Thank you. I did not tell you to be vegetarian. Okay? The last thing I want is your parents emailing or phoning me asking why I told you all to stop eating meat. There's a silence, but most of them still have that concerned expression. One that says, I'm going to rush home and throw out hamburger defrosting in the fridge because Mr. Gibbs said it would help save the polar bears. (laughs) Thank God they have iPads today, so we can move on from this. All right, now, class, I would be more than happy to discuss ways we can prevent habitat loss, but it's 1.30, which means it's time for Wonder Wednesday. Bernard, can you please go down to the storage room and bring us the iPad cart? What started as a last-minute time filler for an afternoon <laughs> has grown into a weekly ritual for grade threes. They love Wonder, Wednesday, Wonder Wednesdays, essentially an hour block where students can research any topic related to something they've been learning. More importantly, I got to turn my brain off for an hour. About 90% of them just watch cute animal videos.
3: But occasionally,
2: I witness a small glimpse of someone researching something academic. As soon as the iPads are distributed and headphones have been jacked in, a welcome silence falls on the room. The only noise is coming from muffled headphones. I walk around the room and see the typical Earth or planet Earth videos playing. David Attenborough's muffled voice coming from their headphones. <laughs> I recently showed them a Vox documentary on how noise pollution is impacting marine life. So whales are another big thing. Larissa and Damien R. are both fixated on red panda videos. And then I see something unusual. An iPad screen full of confusing Google image searches. What are you researching, Blossom? I'm looking up how to stop the Earth from getting warmer! I see in her search bar that Blossom's literally typed, how to stop the Earth from getting warmer. (laughs) There are stock photos of the Earth melting or on fire. An infrared map of North America graphs about greenhouse gases. Some of them read like alarmist propaganda. Others are too scientific for even me to understand. This is a big problem, so I'm going to figure it out, okay, Mr. Gibb? The polar bears are counting on me! Blossom clicks on another picture of the Earth as a candle with a wick in the middle and its sides slowly melting. <laughs> I look from the computer to Blossom's eyes fixated and scanning the iPad and back to the Google Images searches. Honestly, Blossom, if anyone can figure out, it's probably you. All right, thanks.
0: <laughs> now we have Jessica Johns, a writer of Cree Ancestry and a member of the Sucker Creek First Nation. She's incoming poetry editor of Prism International and is on the editorial board for Room magazine. You can find her work in Bad Nudes, Cosmonauts, Salturn, and Glass Buffalo, as well as some pretty grim tweets from at Stella Brenda. Here's Jessica.
4: Hi, hello. Uh, this is actually a really nice image to like walk up to the stage when you're really nervous and like see this smiling mark. Like that's a, I don't know. I'm just going to say it. I think you should, I think you should bring him back. I think you should keep him here. Uh, hi, hi everybody, hi humans. Tansi, hey, Nia, Jessica Johns, Nisikasan, Sucker Creek First Nation, Oshnia. That is a very condensed version uh, in Nehiyawawen, uh, the Cree language, of my name is Jessica Johns and I am uh, from Sucker Creek First Nation, which is in Treaty 8 territory. Uh, in Northern Alberta. Um, I am, this isn't my territory. I am super excited to be on this territory of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Uh, It was actually really cool when Cole read out the, or said the territory acknowledgement earlier, I heard someone in the back like, like yell like they were like, yeah! (laughs) And I'm like sitting there and I'm like, yeah! Um, I love that. I was at a reading recently at uh, UBC uh, where Eden Robinson came to visit Amazing. And uh, she <laughs> came out to do her reading and she just walked up to the mic and was like, Musqueam! And like, <laughs> the people in the crowd like didn't know what to do with that. They were just sort of just like, huh, e- yeah. And like gave, and I was just like amped. Like I was like, yes, because... We should be fucking excited. This is a great place to be and a great place to live, and um, I'm every day grateful for that. Uh, So, uh, a lot of the time when I do readings, I'm nervous, so I just come up here and babble for most of the time instead of reading my shit. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) I'm gonna try try real hard not to do that. Um, I've got a mixed bag for you all tonight. I have some fiction, I have some poetry, just going to throw shit at you. Um, <laughs> the first poem that I'm going to read to you tonight, I wrote uh, back in December um, when I went home <clears throat> for Christmas. Um, and I was on Tinder. And uh, I don't know if any of you know about Tinder, but it's like <laughs> this like massive beast of a um, machine that is at its very best, uh, terrible. Um, but if anyone hears from a small town, actually, my cousin Julie's here. Yeah, Edson represent. Um, you, you know what? This one's for you. You'll relate to this. Uh, it when you actually um, Tinder then in a small town, uh, the horrible thing that is like generally terrible is even more terrible and then also it's the holidays and like no one wants to get wheeled on the holidays like no one's out for dates Um, so it's just generally the worst time so here's a really uplifting poem about that (laughs) it's called tindering in edson alberta (laughs) i know super creative title right You ever tinder in the town you grew up in? It's like shooting a ghost in the mouth with a double barrel. (laughs) It's like if that ghost swallowed those bullets and spit them into the sky. It's like if those bullets rained down and you caught them in your dreams, mouth open, body slack with sleep. They hurt like a country song twang, like your body was a back road. Like your body was a dime bag sold by the local drug dealer, the one whose eyes look like castor oil. He carries you in his pocket next to the tin of skull to your old high school parking lot in the height of desperate and dark, where the crunch of a body breaking and snow under feet sound the same. Glowing like a tapeworm in work boots, he sells you at an egregious price to your old music teacher and they bust you up and roll you right there under the half moonlight. Pass you between them and smoke without hacking, getting too stoned and cold, but preferring to stay uncomfortable and in the company of someone else who knows what lonely feels like too. I know, right? <clears throat> needless to say I did not get a date that Christmas um, I had like you know it was like as far as it could go distance wise and like maxed out the age is it, <clears throat> it was really yes it's 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 sad um okay so my next a uh, piece of fiction I'm going to read to you uh, was recently um, in the recent issue of Bad Nudes which is super rad love the love the Meg um, and it's also about another form of um, online romance but uh, if anyone here is familiar with MSN yes yeah so 15 years ago this was like the tinder but um, it was like the long game where you had to wheel someone over time. And it was always people you had to know from school or like the neighboring school. Yeah, you all know it. Okay. So this is called, I changed my name to Alexis on Fire lyrics in order to reach you. This girl here knows. She's like, I fucking did that. And also, this is a lot of help to, from Alex there. He wrote a lot of this. So, and I just like stole it and published it <laughs> and like never acknowledged him, so this is, this is your acknowledgement. <laughs> Thanks. Um, it's 9.45 p.m. on Friday. I'm alone in my room on the computer, waiting for my mom to fall asleep so I can smoke pot and talk to you on MSN. We saw each other at school today, but you were busy, and I acted like I was too. I'm glad I don't have a dick, so I don't have to worry about having to hide my boners over you. I heard about this trick, where they tuck the boner into the waistband of their pants. And for starters, that sounds uncomfortable. Also, that's a lot of boners to hide. I've known you since orientation and it's nearly Christmas holidays now, so you do the math. The closer it gets to 10pm, the more I'm sweating because that's the time you usually sign on. I've had a poem written for you in a documents folder for the last three days. I titled it Social Studies 10 Hudson's Bay Bibliography so as not to arouse suspicion. I write about you on Myspace, though, because that's as cryptic as it gets. Next to, of course, writing to you through song lyrics. It's the only way to translate how I feel. I asked Auntie if there was a word for gay in Cree, and she laughed and said English has trapped me into believing in equivalence. But the short answer was no. Maybe this shouldn't matter because I speak English, and so do you and maybe this really shouldn't matter because I look so very white and you actually are, but I think it says something that Indians didn't need a word for something until we were told we needed a word for it. I like the word to spirit I try to explain it to you and you try to understand by comparisons. I know you're really trying, but you're trapped too. The word is intentionally broad acknowledges beliefs and traditions that exist behind each letter. It's more like a feeling, and those are hard to describe in any language. But it's still an English term. It's still an imposed prodding of parts and love, telling people to name it. You get me to say I love you in Cree because you like the way it sounds. Gitin. You get me to say I love you very much in Cree because you think they should be repeated together, one after the other. Kisagitin. Mister mistahe. You get. Would you have loved me in my language? Which language? What kind of love? It's a different concept for us both. You might think it's the same, but it's not. So I'm going to change my MSN name from fucky, passive-expressive lyrics back to my actual name, because I don't think you're getting it anyways, and I'm trying to stop believing in equivalence. I'm just going to take a little sip of water, because I'm getting a little... Thank you, thank you. Okay, so... That was my Tinder and MSN little guys there for you. Um, The next couple of poems um, are works in progress. Uh, I have a chapbook coming out. It's forthcoming with for Ghost Press in September. I actually don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Uh, They're not here, they don't care, Uh, whatever. Don't tell them. Um, (laughs) uh, But yeah, so I'm working on stuff for that. And it's a dream series. It's all about dreams, cool dream shit. Um So, yeah, it'll be great. Uh, so this one is called um, They they don't have titles. They're not called anything. I was gonna make them up when I came up here and I was like, you don't know what they're called." Um, <laughs> um, but they're dr- about dreams and dreams is Cree is uh, Poatemoan. Pow- tam- Auntie says dreams are messages, and to treat them like cracked sidewalks, like bone-bear trees, like playing crib with your aunties before supper. Be careful, let it be beautiful, and pay attention. Nahiao Isqueo, which means uh, Cree woman in Nehiyawewen. Here's the thing about Nehiyaw Isqueo. They both dream and speak louder than anyone else. Mom tells me Nehiyaw find themselves in ceremony. And I wonder if my ancestors would mind that my ceremony is FaceTiming my nieces and nephews every Sunday. It is kissing their photos and showing up. It is repeating phrases in Nehiyawawin as I clean my kitchen sink. It is crossing to walk on the sunny side of the street. It is wanting to have two wives and one husband and filling them with so much love they feel it in the webs of their feet. All I want is to make this a future my ancestors would recognize. Make my face a face Cookham would hold in her soft hands and say, hello, I've been waiting to see you my whole life. Uh, So this is gonna be my last poem. Uh, I just want to say thank you. (laughs) Thank you Um, Thank you all for being here. This is amazing. This is is this how you get people to come to events you also like writing events you also have like comedians and Musicians and other cool shit cuz I've (laughs) never seen a packed room like this for a writing event, and it's so fucking cool um Thank you, Cole, for inviting me here. This is really cool. I really appreciate it. Um, and this next poem is actually I wrote um, about one of my friends, Sean. And I wrote it at the last reading event he was at. And I was like, Sean, this is for you. And he's, he doesn't like that. And so I'm pretty sure he is not coming to any more of my reading events. He's like, not here tonight. I don't think he's ever going to come again. Because I will always close with this poem. And I he knows that. Um... <laughs> It's fine. He's heard it once, that's all I needed in my life. Uh, So this poem is called, Sean, I know you don't like attention, but this poem is about you. (laughs) He fucking hates it. Sean, calm down. (laughs) This poem isn't really about you. I send that for effect. It's a very Sean thing to do and I'm still trying to learn how to poem properly. If I start a poem with an assertion and then immediately go against it, I think that's a Sean thing too. Or maybe that's a life thing, I don't know. You sent me the Robert Heaton poem about dreams and what I replied was, holy shit, that's amazing. But what I really meant was, thank you for showing me what dreams can do. If I were a tornado, I'd make sure to drop something nice off at your house a dairy cow, a bouquet of wheat from Alberta, a time machine. Sean, this poem still isn't about you. Maybe it's about the misconceptions behind daylight savings. I agree. I think people need to be better informed. Yes, we lose an hour, but we gain light for longer. It's hard to tell someone to be happy when they think they've lost something. Even if that loss isn't real, because time is relative and all that. It's the wording of it that's the problem. It's like saying you get more soda because the ice melts, but you lose the ice. Everyone will mourn the cubes and sneer at the watered-down drink. I think you're right, Sean. Artists were made for daylight savings. We get more of what we really need. Sustenance, light, time. Fuck the ice cubes. Sean, I'm sorry about making this all about you, when what I really wanted to talk about was time and how it slips in and out of my dreams, not the other way around. You gave me advice once for dealing with the loss of the hour, but you don't remember it. That's okay. Time has a way of making us forget things like that. Sean, I've been lying this whole time. This poem is about you. That's another reversal. So have I broken all the rules? I'm sorry I've drawn so much attention to you, but listen, we all have nightmares. None of them happen when we're sleeping. Thank you all so much.
0: Our final storyteller of the evening is another wonderful, talented comedian who you can see killing it all around town and here regularly on the Sprout Lore podcast. Here's Aziz.
5: Hello. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, This is very difficult... It's very difficult to do, I realize now, uh, this show because a lot of people are coming up here telling very heartfelt stories uh, and, like, reading beautiful poetry. uh, And I'm not used to that. (laughs) Like, I'm used to going to comedy shows and listening to just garbage for an hour and a half, and then going up on stage and then talking about my garbage. Uh, So I'm in a very weird place emotionally right now. Um, But thank you. Uh, But can we get a big round of applause for everyone who shared? Um... I'm, uh, what I'm going to share with you guys tonight is uh, I'm going to tell you guys the story of when I learned about Voyager 1. <laughs> yeah. You guys know what Voyager 1 is? It's, uh, for those of you that don't know, Voyager 1 is a satellite that was designed by Carl Sagan. And he sent it out into space uh to like kind of take pictures of our solar system and what lies beyond and send them back so we can better understand our place in the universe. Uh, and I heard that and I was like, oh, that's really cool uh, and I I was in I was in uh, my third grade science class when I found this out uh, and they explained it to me and I was like, oh, it's rad, when does it come back and They were like, it doesn't come back. (laughs) And I was like, oh no. And I started crying very, (laughs) a lot in science class. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I don't know why it affected me so much. (laughs) Like, I think I maybe had like just seen the brave little toaster. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, all of our appliances are alive. And they love us so much. <laughs> I have some apologies to make to the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't stick my dick in a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> some people think that when I say, that, but it's worse. Uh, what I would do is, uh, <laughs> I, I would play this game with the vacuum cleaner, where I would take. I would take it and I would take the kind of like the hose part out of the part that you hold and like clean the ground Uh, and then I would take googly eyes and I would glue them to like to like the bulkier part of the hose Uh, and then like the opening would be the mouth and I would be like hello Mr. Vacuum Cleaner (laughs) what do you want to do today and then I would do the vacuum cleaners voice too. And he would be like, I want to eat some fucking tissues. (laughs) The vacuum cleaner sounded like Jason Statham. (laughs) So I would turn the vacuum cleaner on and I would put it in the Kleenex box. It's terrible for the environment. Uh, And (laughs) and (laughs) and (laughs) so that's what, that was like, that activity was like ages seven to 14 for me. So, (laughs) I also, like, the reason why the whole Voyager 1 thing made me so sad uh, was because Voyager 1 has this thing on it called the Golden Record. And it's this, like, is this record that's made out of gold that has a bunch of earth sounds on it. Uh, Like, it's got Bach, and it's got, like, the sound of children laughing, (laughs) and it's got the sound of the wind rustling through the trees. And so, like... I, When I imagined it, I just imagined the satellite floating through space listening to all these sounds and just being like, I miss home. <laughs> 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 for for a long time, I was like, that was a weird thing that I, happened to me when I was a kid. Uh, but then recently a friend of mine was like, hey, did you know that the Mars rover sings itself happy birthday every year? (laughs) (laughs) I lost my mind (laughs) when I heard that. And I... So, like, I started to think and, like, sort of reflect on, like, do I cry a lot? (laughs) And I... (laughs) The answer that I came to was, yeah, you cry a lot. (laughs) Like, remember that one time you were in a Dairy Queen and you saw a baby drop an ice cream cone? (laughs) And you were like, I can't be in this Dairy Queen right now. (laughs) (laughs) Or remember that one time when you were on the bus in Sawasin and you saw a guy eating a gingerbread house alone? (laughs) Yeah, it happened. It happened. (laughs) It's real. (laughs) This is all real. (laughs) Uh, And I, so what my, when I was sitting there watching, that already is sad. Uh, But my mind, what it did when I saw that was it was just like, oh, I bet that's the last gingerbread house he made with his son before he died. (laughs) What the fuck was that? (laughs) Why is that in here now? <laughs> and and then I had to sit with that for the whole ride. <laughs> I'm like, why are you eating it? <laughs> it's all you have left. <laughs> and, and then he, like, rang the bell because he had to get off. So he had, like, this half-eaten gingerbread house that he was, as the bus was coming to a halt, like, balancing so carefully so it wouldn't drop. And I was like, no, no. That's all. That's all there is. (laughs) And then he got off the bus and he threw it in the trash, (laughs) cause it was garbage. (laughs) I'm like, why am I empathizing with trash? (laughs) Or like, if I ever see an old man throwing a ball for a very old dog, (sighs) I'm always just like, oh god. (laughs) I hope you both outlive each other. <laughs> <I don't, laughs> so there's a lot I had to like figure it out. Like what's going on? This is like anything sets me off. And I I, I think it's because I'm like a first generation immigrant. Like when you're Like when, like my parents, uh, they grew up somewhere else and then they moved here and they had me. Uh, And when you're a first generation immigrant, it's a very lonely experience because you don't, like your parents don't understand the language and they don't understand a lot of the cultural nuances of this place that they're living now. So that means you don't understand them. So that means that there is this social distance between you and everyone around you. Everyone that you're trying to connect with. And it's hard as a child, because you can't conceptualize it, you're fucking idiots. (laughs) Like, you, there's nothing, and it's just this like intangible distance. Like, I remember like one year there was a secret Santa in my homeroom, and I didn't know what that was. (laughs) So I went home, and I asked my dad, and he was like, I think it's a can dry. <laughs> so, so I just <laughs> brought in a can of chickpeas, and I like, put the kid's name on it, dropped it in the box, and I was like, weird. <laughs> and that kid was so mad. <laughs> Is he got the worst get like what the fuck <laughs> like it's worse than getting coal like cause like <laughs> I, remember, I was so aware that he was angry and Terrified that they would find out that it was me that brought in the can of chickpeas that uh, <laughs> I What I did was I tried to throw suspicion off of myself but how I did it was I led the witch hunt For the kid that brought the can of chickpeas in. And like, he looked at the can, and was like, what the fuck is this? And then from the back of the room, I was like, yeah, what the fuck is that? We gotta find this motherfucker. There's one thing Santa stands for. It's revenge. The thing is, everyone already knew it was me because as the only brown kid in the class, and there was Arabic writing on the can. (laughs) So it's these small things, you know? (laughs) And then the other side of the coin is also lonely because when your parents see you growing up in this new culture, Like, they don't understand your cultural touch points. They don't understand, like, the environment that you're growing up in. So they feel separate from you, and they kind of resent you for it a little bit. And it's not their fault, and they don't know that they're doing it, but it's happening. Like, I remember one time I came home, and I was like, Mom, I think I'm the Chandler of my friend group. (laughs) And she was like, if they're calling you Chandler, they're not your friends. (laughs) So it's tough, it's really hard. Uh, It's very isolating. It's hard to explain to people that haven't experienced it. Like, imagine like the loneliest you've ever been. Like imagine like if you ever were in another country alone and you didn't speak the language or if you were on the outs with all of your friends for some reason and multiply that by 10. And that's what immigrant kids experience every single day. And if you multiply that by 100, that is what Voyager 1 feels like (laughs) all the time. (laughs) My point is we have to bring this satellite Thanks a lot, you guys. I've been Abdulaziz.
0: Hey, you still there? Cool. This is uh, this is the end of the show. Thanks again to all the storytellers, Necking, The Lido for having us, Matt Crisco for recording us, No Fun Radio for playing us, and you, dear listener, for listening. We'll leave you with Necking's Ford commercial.